Are you an SDR, BDR, or an ADR who's ready to step up to management? Are you a current team lead or SDR manager who wants to go to the next level in your career? Join TenBound on July 19th, 2017 in downtown San Francisco for an immersive half-day live training class where we'll cover sales development, culture building, recruiting, team management, metrics, and designing your own career as a sales development professional. You don't want to miss this exclusive opportunity. Sign up today at 10bound.com slash events. That's 10bound.com slash events. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Sales Development Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is David Delaney with another awesome show. I have today my esteemed guest who I've been trying to get on the show for a long time, and I'm glad you could make it today, Mr. Chris Casillas with Appfolio. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me, David. Oh, thank you. Thanks for making the time. I, I initially met you, I think, at the Topo Conference. Yeah. Uh, couple months ago and you know we got to talk in i i looked at at the stuff that you've been doing chris is this director of sales development at appfolio where you've been for a while chris could you give the audience a little bit of your background and and how you got into sales development sure so i've had the or been at the same company now for eight and a half years which i think is a bit unheard of these days um so i've been uh doing all things sales for a little over 10 years now. Um, I started off at Citrix Online, the, the go-to-meeting guys, and that was in late 2006. Just kind of fell into that job doing B2B sales. Uh, was hired on when I was 19 years old as almost like an experiment to see what happens if we give some kid who knows nothing um, a bunch of training and, and guidance and you know see what can possibly transpire from that. And it ended up working out really well for them and really well for me too. So much so that after a couple of years, uh, those same guys that started that company, the founder and core management team uh, behind uh, GoToMeeting, they started this company called Appfolio. So they asked me to come on board when there were about 30 employees and uh, started doing sales for them there, was one of the very first salespeople and went from just having a handful of customers to thousands and thousands, tens of thousands to now uh, being a uh, publicly traded company. And we uh, just told the street that we're not profitable. So it's been a it's been a fun ride. Oh, man, that is amazing. And I've got a ton of questions. But what does Appfolio do for their customers? Yeah, so we create cloud based software for specific industries. So right now we serve the property management and legal verticals. Okay, great. And and so you were working with these guys. They decided to start a company and they went and grabbed you. Man, you're going to get a lot of recruiting calls after this. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> so so what what was it about working with you that made them say, hey, man, we're starting a new company. I want to call Chris. Yeah, well, I certainly think that having the clean slate from the very beginning uh, and then them being able to give me the proper training is really important when you're starting a new company. You want to make sure that uh, the, the people in the very beginning are properly representing the organization and, um, also are, are good too. So I had both those things going for me at the time, thanks to a lot of training and mentorship that they had. And, you know, one reason I love the sales development role is I get the opportunity to, in a lot of ways, do the same thing that, um, that was given to me, all the training and the development that I can now pass on to people on my team now. So, uh, I love that opportunity. What a ride. That is amazing. And they went public while you were there. 
That's right. Okay, so eight years. I mean, <laughs> that's from day one. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been fun. So, so tell me about your your sales development team and how you have it structured and how it's set up and how how you run it. Sure. So we have uh, a team here in Santa Barbara. We also have a team out in Dallas, and so. We have 25 SDRs in total, and so there could be 12 or 13 in any given office at any point in time. And uh, within that group, we have a group that's that's primarily outbound, and then a hybrid team that works on our uh, larger size customers that they're acquiring. And so, um, after ramping up and being successful on the outbound and on the smaller side of customers, then what they end up doing is graduating into the the role that we call ninja. So. Uh, they end up being sales development ninjas, and they start working on the larger size companies. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So they start out on outbound to the mm-hmm. smaller, the smaller companies, and th- it's more of a high volume activity. That's right. Role it, it sounds like, and then once they kind of prove themselves in that respect, then they move up to a hybrid where they're handling inbound and outbound. Is that correct? That's right. Oh, okay. Excellent. And so how does it how does it work? So the, they get a set of named accounts, for example, and if a lead comes in from any of those, um, they'll take care of it and then they'll map it out, you know, to do some outbound as well. They do that. And also the inbound leads that are uh, coming in on that larger segment as well. They're responsible for getting in touch with them. And we like to get a call out to that lead within you know, five minutes of actually receiving it. You, everyone's seen that inside sales uh, data on the difference between five minutes and 10 minutes even in a response. So um, people typically do that via email. Then they, a lead comes in and a canned email gets sent directly to the person that just filled out the lead. But what we like to do is um, we, we know that time kills deals. So when someone submits a lead, we want to be on that really quickly and start off with uh, the right kind of impression that uh, these companies that are reaching out to us are important, and we want to give them the best level of service we can. Okay. Okay. Cool. And then, what do you guys do with the inbound leads that are coming in from more of the SMB, you know, the lower level ones? Are they just it's completely email, or do they get a touch? Those get touches, but they go to our inside sales group. Oh, just directly to the yeah. closing team. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this is a kind of a different structure than a lot of companies have it set up. Um, was that a lot of trial and error and trying to figure out what works specifically for your business? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that's something to keep in mind, too, is that a lot of times people will get stuck in one particular model and they say, okay, here's the here's how, how you start an SDR team and these are the, the factors that go into it. But um, you really want to make sure that outside of a starting point that uh, you, you grow and adapt to what makes the most sense for your particular company. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I think that's something we talk about a lot is like people bring their playbook from company to company. It's like mm-hmm. it can really crash and burn, right? If you're not looking at the specific results and metrics for your own company and then iterating on those, which sounds like you're doing. Yeah, we always say that uh, the system needs to be serving you. You shouldn't be serving the system. <laughs> I love that. I love that because now there's so many different tools and different things that you can plug in for sales mm-hmm. development that it's almost a lot of times it's it's the opposite of what you're saying. It's like you're trying to feed the system all the time. That's right. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Okay. So cool. So say somebody, you know, they they 
they're down in Santa Barbara, which uh, that must be a tough place to recruit from. And they, they look at the job rack and they look at your profile and they go, dude, I want to work for Chris. Like, what are you looking for? Um, hopefully, you know, that I think that that would definitely happen if they saw your profile. What, what are you looking for in those applicants when they come to you and you want to get a spot on the, the inbound team or the, yeah. the yeah, yeah. entry level team? Good question. So, you know, I don't know if it's just us, but uh, something that we've realized is hiring people straight out of college is is not uh, our default position anymore. You know, now if someone uh, just graduated, they have to absolutely impress us in order for us to to consider moving forward with them as a candidate. Um, we find that the the folks that we're looking for uh, have a a little bit more clear direction of what it is that they're looking to do, what what goals they have. Um, and we really want to know what's driving them to take this job in the first place. Uh, a lot of times we'll ask in an interview you know, that there's two sides of an equation here. There's the uh, side of what's what you're going to bring to the table for uh, our organization. And then on the other hand, what is it that uh, you're hoping to get out of um, out of being here as an employee? What do you hope to get from us? And so um, we want to see that that's been well thought out. Um, mm. Enthusiasm is so important. Uh, that really um, makes such a difference. When I start to look at some of the nuance of someone who showed really well in an interview then uh, didn't do as well in, um, the, in the real world actually producing, a lot of times we find that uh, enthusiasm has a, a lot to do with it. So um, you can imagine when you're getting a call at it from someone out of the blue that um, if, they, if they sound a bit dull or flat, then that call is going to end pretty quickly. Yeah, and how do you how do you measure that? That sounds really tough because they come in and they're all amped up on Red Bulls and, and coffee. <laughs> and they've been sitting in the car for half an hour, mainlining Red Bulls and, and yeah. e- eating Altoids. You know, just the whole pack of Altoids. <laughs> and they come into the interview and they're super excited. You know, and they're all enthusiasm and and stuff like that. How do you how do you see? into you know what they're going to be 90 days out in the job do you look at the resume do you look at the track record i mean how do you yeah decipher those, that? those are those are all factors that go into it we're also really curious to know uh, what that person does to grow and improve outside of the business right like outside of normal office hours how are they working on um, making themselves a better version of themselves really so um that that comes across really clear. If it, it seems like the, the standard response if someone isn't really doing that and taking that seriously is, oh, I'd like to read a read some blogs every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, I mean that's one way to go about it, but uh, um, it's it's really interesting to hear what people have to say when you start asking them about growth and development outside of the office. Yeah, it's like, well, I like ESPN and uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe go to the beach every once in a while from Santa Barbara. Netflix um, and chill doesn't count. <laughs> Netflix and chill. No, I, that's funny. I saw somebody wrote a post. It was like, put on your Netflix clothes because you're going to be watching this all day, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God. Now we have that's Netflix. not going to cut it. <laughs> now we have Netflix. Though. But hey, and by the way, anybody out in Santa Barbara or Dallas who's listening to this and you're interested in Appfolio, if you say that you listen to the sales development podcast every week, I think that that would put you, you know, over the top with Chris. So now this is a there's point. a good example of, of <laughs> focusing on growth and development. Nice, right? And then, dude, all I do is CrossFit and I listen to the sales development podcast. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm just gonna hired. rush it. Uh, hired, you're done. Awesome. <laughs> here's your here's your That's headset. Great. Okay, all right. So so you found a great person. They're super energetic. They're 
they're reading books and they're studying sales development. They come in, they, they, they get the onboarding, you know, program. Now, what are you looking for over the next, you know, 90 days, like, or uh, six months, for example, of that person's behavior, action, et cetera? Yeah, there, there's the obvious one about coachability, right? Like someone has to um, take feedback from their team and also from uh, whoever their leader is well and actually implement it. Um, it's really interesting to me to see that um, when people on our team say like, hey, I was helping out so-and-so with, with a call and giving them some advice and they didn't really want to hear it from me. Um, that's always a sign that we got some challenges, not even that they're necessarily their manager. It could be a peer that's giving them some advice. But um, if, if they're not taking that uh, with the kind of enthusiasm that we expect, then we, we definitely know that uh, we might have some challenges. The other thing is that having a growth mindset is so important. You know, there's, there's that concept of uh, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset that Carol Dweck talks about. And uh, this is so important to us because it really has, a, has, has an effect inside and outside of the office. The idea that um, if you're, let's say you're not a morning person, um, it's the idea of saying that you're not a morning person yet, right? It's this, this understanding uh, that you can change. And that plays a lot into who's going to be successful and who's not the folks that really internalize that. I'm just thinking, one, one of the things being at SDR management is you put a lot of thought and focus on training and, and coaching people, but then to see it not translate to different behavior on the floor has got to be frustrating. Yeah, and on the other hand, it's it's, it's so exciting when uh, when you see someone uh, have that light bulb go off and then they, they just get it or they you know talk about uh, what their goal is for for the week or for the month and they put a lot of focus into it and all of a sudden they end up being the one teaching the others on how they're doing it no i love that and and so two two things say somebody they've been in scr for a year or two they've been doing really well they're ticking all the boxes and let's scenario number one they want to become an sdr manager at some point in the future what should they be doing to prepare themselves to take that step up, like say if a team lead role opens up on your team or a manager role opens up on, uh, you know, uh, beneath you? Yeah, good question. So I think there's a few things with that. The first one, and this is something that I've really embodied throughout my career that's been extraordinarily helpful for me is just not waiting for the job title or not waiting for the position to add value in a way that's outside the scope of your job description. Um, That's something that there's nothing stopping you from doing that, right? Like anyone can, uh, can start taking some initiative. And, you know, if you're, if you're doing the right things, there's no way that, uh, your, your leader is going to say, Hey, stop doing that. They're, they're going to be really glad that you're, that you're taking some initiative. And so, um, I would say the first thing is, uh, that position is going to go, you know, first and foremost to the person who's already doing aspects of the job without, uh, necessarily waiting for a position to be open. And that's, that's the, the first thing. Yes. Okay. I love that. So crush your number, you know, be really good at the current job that you're in, but also expand and don't just sit there and wait for someone to give you the title. Take it, take it another step by yourself without waiting. So, okay. So, and then on the other hand, what if they want Mm -hmm. to become a sales rep? They want to step up to become an account executive from an SDR to account executive. What are two or three things that maybe they should be doing right now 
to be ready for that a year from now. Definitely. Yeah. So I think uh, you should start to get to know some of the folks on the inside sales team. The, the best, of course, are the people who went through the SDR program and have now um, are the top producers on the inside sales floor. Those are the guys that you want to take out to lunch and start to get to know and understand what their path and their journey look like. Because every company is going to have their own nuances of how it's done. But talking to someone who's actually done the thing that you're looking to accomplish is always the right place to start. I think, you know, just having business acumen, it takes it takes some experience to understand it. But uh, if, the more that it seems like the, mm-hmm. that you can understand how a business operates and how a business makes money, you're going to be better at trying to work with potential customers to, you know, solve their business issues. If you don't know how a business runs <laughs> on a basic mm-hmm. level, because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of us, I was a liberal arts major. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about business. It took me 20 years to figure out how it works. But if you're just two or three years out of school, hey, figure out how businesses make money and how your solutions specifically can help them um, as much as you can, um, I would say. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. So more like on the tactical front, as you're working with SDRs and the management, have you seen anything, you know, in your experience that's been working more effectively than maybe you would have thought or, or something that you've seen come up recently? And then on the flip side, is there anything that just doesn't work anymore as far as brokering conversations with prospects? Um, anything that you've seen on either side that you know we should be aware of? Yeah, good question. Well, I think on the, the what's not working as well, um, this has been our own experience, then also just a conversation with other sales development leaders that I've spoken with, that the high-volume play of just – rapid churn and burn of accounts and churn and burn of the people that you're working with this is not the the best approach it's certainly not sustainable something that uh, we were talking about before this was doing personalization at scale right because everyone's saying that uh, no one's really reading these emails anymore from uh, from sales development reps and except for the ones that are you know highly personalized and that does work. Um, but how do you scale that? Well, it's, it's really hard. So I think the, the question becomes, instead of how do we scale it, is who are the, the particular accounts that are worth putting in the effort? The prioritization and personalization, it's just, I mean, I, I think that with the dawn of the sales automation platforms that have come out in the last five years because i remember and you do too i mean you've been around for a while the the, before the sales automation platforms were given to sdrs we just had like lead lists and salesforce and Mm -hmm. excel excel sheets and Mm -hmm. you know it was super slow and clunky i had like post-it notes and all this stuff like trying to figure it out but now we've basically given sdrs marketing automation programs, just like Marketo or Pardot or uh, HubSpot and said, dude, have at it, man. And next, I just got an email today. It said, hi, first name. And it was just a token. Like, and I was just like, dude, that is so wrong. Like, <laughs> I it's could, 2017. Come on. That's exactly. I was going to go, dude, I mean, in 2010, like, okay. You know, like we were just all trying to figure out how these things work. Okay. But now, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, on the on the flip side, outreach just took a round for thirty million dollars. 
from very, yeah. very reputable VC firms. They're crushing it. Yeah. As, as Mark Cosigo would say, they're krilling it. They're they're <laughs> crushing it and killing it. I don't know what that means. But they're, they're crushing it over there. So people are buying these things, Chris, and they're plugging them in and they're giving them to people. And then it's like they're sending out millions of, of emails. That no one's reading. So what do we do? I mean, the, the approach that we're taking is get really smart about who is it that we actually want to win and then be thoughtful about how we approach those folks. Right. Okay. And then, and then what do you say? I ask this all the time on the show. What do you say to the sales leader, the old school sales leader who walks around and it's really quiet on the sales floor? There's just tap, tap, tap there. Everyone's researching. They're sending emails. They're being super like personalized about things. Like, what do we say to those guys? Because they think that it should be loud and crazy um, on the sales floor because you're talking to all these people and you're making all these calls. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say for that, I would always just go back to uh, making sure that uh, whatever, whatever it is that we're doing is actually being effective in the first place. So like if we're hitting the number and it's really quiet on the, on the sales floor, then great. Who cares? Um, if, if it's not, then you definitely have some, some things to be thinking about. And I mean, we, we know for certain that, uh, a call and email combo, uh, is more effective than just sending out an email. So it's not like, uh, make 180 calls today, uh, and send two emails is, is going to work anymore. But, uh, we also don't believe that, uh, just sending out, uh, 50 personalized emails and not picking up the phone is going to work either. So there, there definitely has to be a balance. Okay. And I just remember I, I talked to John Miller about, I asked John Miller the same question and he said, well, why don't you just do this? Personalize all day. And, and to your point, as long as the data is fleshing it out, it's working, you're hitting your numbers, great. And then when the old school VP of sales walks by, have everybody start making phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm getting this from the guy who started Marketo, now runs a game. Okay, I'm going to, I'm, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that is funny. So Chris, what I'm really curious about is the new trend around account-based sales development and how you organize account-based sales development, particularly at Appfolio. Um, and we talked a little bit about the one metric or a handful of metrics that you really pay attention to around account-to-opportunity conversion rate. So how do you use that? How do you monitor that if you can't do it, you know, easily in Salesforce? You got to set it up. And what what do you use that metric for in order to coach your team? Yeah, good good question. So with account base, I think it's important to you know first start with why. Like why are we doing account based? And for a lot of people, what it comes down to, and certainly the case for us, is that. We're looking to ensure that our focus is on the highest value customers that are going to be the most successful for uh, for us and the most successful users of our software. And the other one is we want to ensure that we're increasing efficiency. You know, you don't want to spend all this effort on accounts that just have such a low likelihood of turning into an opportunity. And so that's why we really focus on our account to opportunity conversion rate. And that's the number of accounts that you're targeting in any given time frame and the amount of opportunities that came from that in that same time frame. And that really tells you what your efficiency looks like, because the less accounts that your uh, SDRs need to target in order to generate an opportunity, uh, the easier their job is and the more you can uh, expect out of them. 
And so Salesforce doesn't do a really good job of just spitting that report out uh, for a number of reasons. So we've we've had to move past the the dogma of not using spreadsheets, and uh, we do use a spreadsheet to track this. Um, you know, so it's a li- little uh, little blasphemous when you work for a SaaS company yourself, but it is the the best way to to track this as far as we can, as far as we've been able to find. And I've talked with. Uh, a lot of other companies about, uh, you know, if they are tracking that, it's pretty rare that they are. And when they are tracking it, they're also using spreadsheets. But uh, once you get it set up, it doesn't take a lot to do. It's just a few seconds, but um, really insightful as far as uh, ensuring that the strategies that you're putting in place are um, panning out and resulting in a more efficient process for everybody. Excellent. Okay. So off the top of your head, what does the spreadsheet look like and how how could people potentially set it up, say, if they're setting up their account-based strategy for the team and they want to monitor, you know, do we have the right number of accounts on each, you know, assigned to each team member? Are they putting the right touches on those? How are those touches converting? How, how, does, it, how does it look when you sit down, you know, Monday morning and you go, okay, here, I'm, here's the new data and this is what we're going to do with it? Yeah, the best way to start is to, Take your snapshot based on how long you think it takes for uh, accounts to turn into opportunities from when they're first engaged. So, uh, you know, for us, we we look at it in a month time frame. We also look at it in a quarter time frame, but monthly is the most helpful because we can take some action on it uh, a lot quicker. Uh, so, imagine that you have every single one of your your months listed out, and then you are running a report on the total number of unique accounts that your team has has hit. And so, this is. Uh, agnostic to to the number of touches, you know, you could look at uh, touch conversions as well. But this is just um, straight up total number of accounts that uh, you've targeted, total number of ops that came out. So um, you have to run a report to tell you the total number of accounts that have been targeted, um, the same report or date range for the number of opportunities um, that came from those accounts, and then um, that's what you're plugging into the spreadsheet. So it's pretty straightforward. It's just not a lot of people think to to track this. Yeah. Definitely. And then is that something that you share with the marketing department or do you, do you have some support from marketing to say, okay, th- this month, here's our list of accounts that we're going after. Can you provide us with some air cover? Yeah, definitely. And a lot of times we do that based on, based on campaigns. Like we go after accounts of a, of a certain profile and then we work closely with marketing to ensure that, you know, before we go after those accounts and then during, Um, we have some air cover for marketing. Definitely. Excellent. Okay, cool. And then is there, I know that you have the team stratified, you know, by the, uh, I believe the size of the company that they're going after. And is there a a certain number of companies that one SDR is assigned to for the month? And then it kind of rotates as they work those accounts? Well, what we do is we give each SDR a, a bucket of named accounts. These are accounts in their name that they're assigned to. So in Salesforce, they are the account owner. And you know, imagine this being the, the bucket of accounts that they're working strategically and they're working them until they get to some kind of a roadblock that says like there's no way that, uh, um, that we can move forward with this or it, timing is, is such that uh, it, it doesn't make sense for me to continue to work it. Uh, then those uh, get kicked out of their name, and then we replace them with new ones. But they always have this base of accounts that they that they have that they're working. And then overlaid on top of that is the different campaigns that we're running in concert with marketing. So you can imagine they have uh, monthly campaigns that they're doing in concert with these 
named accounts that they're always targeting. Makes sense. Okay, cool. And and I'm trying to I'm putting my SDR manager hat back sure, on, and yeah. I remember these meetings uh, where the SDRs would come in and and say, "Okay, I, I I called everybody, you know, already at these accounts. Like these are done. How yeah. how if the SDR comes into a manager meeting and they're like, I've already called through all these. There's no interest at all at these companies. How, how do you verify that? Or how do you dig into that and say, well, wait a minute, you know, there's, there's like 12 potential buyers at these companies and we have a, you know, 12 point cadence that we're supposed to bring them all through. How does that even make sense? Do you ever have to deal with stuff like that? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good one to bring up. So the, the first thing is having an established framework um, so it's really clear what it is that we're expecting of our team to do in these accounts. So there's some folks who have a, a roadmap of a call, which is really important to make sure that uh, the SDRs are navigating through that call effectively. Uh, there also should be a roadmap for an account, too. Um, that's how many contacts or what, what titles or profiles um, are we actually targeting? How many of them should you target uh, before you move on? In what ways should you actually go about targeting them? Um, those things should all be documented, and it should be really easy for for someone to follow. So it could be a one pager that's printed at uh, printed out and put on their desk if they want, or we have digital copy too. And it should be really clear to see the if thens. Like, okay, if this just happened, if the owner just told me to buzz off, like, what am I doing now? So we're taking a lot of that uh, decision uh, paralysis out of the way because you know you can really clearly see what happens next. Do the reps follow that perfectly every single time? No, they do a good job, but uh, they're, they're not following it perfectly every single time. So we have a request for removal process, and that's something uh, that we developed where you can imagine that uh, you're logging your call results. One of our results is a request for removal, and then there's a particular category for why the rep thinks that we, we shouldn't uh, no longer target this right now um, in their names. That could be you know, a litany of things, and it's going to depend on your business, what makes the most sense. But just some examples would be like they're in a long-term contract right now, so does it make sense for me to continue to put this in my name? Um, I've tried all the all the different key contacts that uh, the roadmap requires, and I wasn't able to get any traction. And then we can review that and see what the execution looked like, um, so on and so forth. So, yeah, having a clear, distinct process for that is important because you don't want to have an account-based system framework, and then all of a sudden you feel like it just turned into the same high-velocity, um, low-quality touch cadence that uh, um, SDRs used to do in the past. Right, exactly. And I, I think the a, a great point uh, that you're making is that you have these gates tracked in Salesforce so that they have to click a box or do a drop down menu and yep. you're collecting data. So you can you can run a report on an individual like in that scenario where they keep, they keep coming back and saying, ah, I called everybody. There's no interest at these accounts. I need new accounts. Well, okay, hold on. Like, let's run the report. Let's dig in. Like, why? Why specifically did did this one get checked off as not interested? And then you can go in and go. Well, wait a minute. You've got you've got this process of dealing with accounts, and we missed a few steps here, right? And that's kind of how you have it set up. Yeah, and you really want to make sure that you're when you make this transition that you're making it really clear to the SDRs why this transition is happening, because you'll find that the folks who have been on the team for a longer period of time, if they're used to doing it a different way, um, you have to craft that lens a little bit better to make sure that uh, they are understanding why 
you're changing to this method. And one of the best ways to do that is to work with the, if you want to do a more, more of a slow rollout is work with a few reps who are already doing something like that and then uh, find some success stories from them, share those success stories and champion what they're doing as an example of like, hey, this, this is where we're going. Like the thing that uh, Connor is doing is, is what we all need to start doing. And uh, that becomes a good way to start bridging that gap between you know, where you're already at and to where you wanna go. And then all your, your new reps that come in, you know, that just becomes the standard way of doing business and they start off on the right foot from the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. And it, it seems, you know, with launching an account-based program, the communication is huge. I mean, selling, selling the benefits to the SDRs is, is usually pretty straightforward because they're open and they're open to new ideas and they, they want to try, they want to try something that works and not keep bump, bumping their head against the wall. Um, yeah. and they, they realize that it's, it's just a different set of motions that you're putting in place. I think another big challenge to think about is the communication, you know, up and, and sideways at the company on launching an account-based program because it takes longer. Um, there's different metrics that you're following. Um, it's not the traditional churn and burn SDR program anymore. Um, and and so if, like, you've been there at, for a long time, so you've got a great relationship, I'm sure, with everybody that's involved. But at some companies, you, you get a lot of pushback if you try to implement an account-based model because all of a sudden... You know they're they're not making 500 phone calls a day anymore. They're making 50 strategic phone calls and sending out 50 strategic emails and things mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean that communication plan I think is something that's super important if you want to do an account based approach um, and something to definitely think about, not just to the SDRs but sideways and up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so. for sure. And that, that another thing is the, you know, the alignment with sales, like what, what is sales looking for from the SDRs and what are they considering a, a qualified opportunity? And I know that you've put in a lot of work to make sure that, you know, you're in alignment with sales. Um, what are, you know, some of the things that folks can do to make sure that, you know, now we've, we put in all this work. We found somebody who wants to talk to us. They're going to sit down. They're going to give us 15 minutes and that sales takes it and runs with it and, and, uh, has a successful result. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, something that, uh, we, we hear a lot of other organizations wanting to, to get better at. And, you know, what we found that works really well for us is starting with a common language across both groups. So you can imagine that, uh, if you have a, a set of distinctions that everyone understands um, that are documented and over communicated that um, we can all get on the same page and create a little bit of harmony here. So what we find is that now starting with the, the standard stuff of like what what is an SQL, what is a sales qualified lead, we, we have documented out um, specifically when it is that we pass someone over uh, to the sales team. So it's really clear um, based on this criteria that we're passing someone over, and um, if it doesn't meet this criteria, we're not. Um, so that's that's the first one. It's like, what? Who are you actually setting setting up with these meetings, and what's the criteria for doing so? Um, that should be something that is documented, agreed on by all the sales leaders um, before rolling that out to the broader team. Um, but getting getting consensus on that is definitely the first step. You also want to make sure that the that the handoff is is done really well. So. 
at least once a week, uh, we'll have joint stand-up meetings with the SDR team as well as uh, the sales team. We'll all get together and we'll have different topics that we need to iron out. Like if we're seeing that we're getting a little clunky with our handoffs, we just talk about what's working, what's not. By all the reps getting on the same page and having that open dialogue to, to talk to each other, both SDR and sales, it really goes a long way. I can't, uh, can't say enough about that. And you know, you, you find that some of your best reps are doing some amazing things that you might not even be aware of, but that comes out in, when, in those discussions. Um, so it's a great time to share some best practices too. The, I love that. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's a few other things too, like uh, ensuring that the, the notes are front and center that the SDR took for the, um, for the salesperson and the sales manager. So when we're, so we create a, a 0% opportunity like most folks do. And uh, we have an SDR notes section in the opportunity. So the SDR puts their notes and, you know, we have a certain format that we use that way it's consistent across the board. And so what that means is anytime a sales manager is looking through the different SDR appointments or opportunities that, uh, any one of the reps has, they know exactly why the SDR passed it to their rep in the first place. So that way they know how to best coach to it. Same thing with um, a salesperson. They're juggling a lot of deals. Um, it could be you know, hard sometimes to remember what was it that really got the interest sparked in the first place um, or any other dynamics of that deal. Those, those are all there in the SDR notes on the opportunity. So you don't have to dig through tasks or activities to find it. I love that. I'm such a big fan of using the opportunity in that way. And it, 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 that also takes some convincing internally because most sales leaders are used to using the opportunity. They're like, they take it literally, like this is an opportunity. And you're like, well, no, it's an opportunity object in right. Salesforce, but it's right now it's pre-opportunity. It's not until it becomes, you know, 20% that it actually should show up on a sales leader's report. Um, and what's great about that is that you can you can run a report really easily in Salesforce that says, uh, you know, these were sourced by an SDR because they're created by an SDR. So you can literally track from source to close every deal that came through the SDR program. Um, so, yeah, I love that. I, and, you know, it, so a couple of things. This is great. One is, you know, I love how you guys put the, the qualification notes in there. I would definitely say for SDR managers, you got to get in the weeds, man. <laughs> I mean, totally. SDR managers like have to live in the weeds as yep. far as inspecting what they expect, right? And and to have it all right there, you, you can't take a high level approach to running an SDR team because when I'm just thinking back to my experience, you go in and you start looking at the notes and you're like, holy crap, <laughs> we need to talk. Right. Because it's all in there. And if it's not up to the standard that you expect from the team, then you need to have a conversation, a coaching conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's that's exactly <laughs> right. And, you know, digging into the weeds, you start to to get some insights, too, that uh, can really help out the team. So a good example is we started going through the weeds and we were asking the question, how can we get uh, a higher conversion rate on um, what we're passing over because you know we all have an owner's mindset here we're looking to first and foremost see how we can help the company and then our individual team and um, we saw that conversion rates were good that we we're sourcing from SDR to sales but we knew they could be better we wanted to push for more and as we started really digging into the weeds and because we had those those notes front front and center what we we're able to do is um, see really clearly that 
there were some sometimes that we could really predict when uh, we were going to convert a lead into a closed deal and when we weren't based on some of the things that the prospect told the salesperson or the SDR. So a good example is um, we found that there's a, a clear distinction between those people that we pass over that are open to talk about software or about their business um, and those that are ready to evaluate. You know, maybe they're already in an evaluation or they, they've been putting off an evaluation and you, you called them at, the, at the, the right time to motivate them to do it. And we created that distinction and we got sales on board with this idea that um, we're going to be passing people over that are open to talk and people that are ready to evaluate. And it's our job to make sure that uh, we let you know who, who it is that you're getting based on their buyer's journey, right? Like you have people that understand that uh, they have a need, um, they have a problem that they want to solve. They're not sure that uh, our solution is what's going to solve it, but you know they, they know that they want to do better by the business. And so um, those people are really more curious or just open to talking about uh, what we have to offer. People that are further along their buyer's journey, those that are ready to evaluate, they, they know they got a problem they got to solve, they know that software can do it, and they, they want to go through an evaluation. And we now have different playbooks that uh, the sales team runs depending on where that uh, prospect is at on their buyer's journey. And that's all coming from the SDR's insight based on what they're able to gather before they actually send them over. Oh, that is super helpful. I mean, I'm just thinking from sitting as a sales rep to have that information would make a huge difference in, you know, how you run the call. And, and that's why you guys have developed playbooks. Great idea. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and um, you know the the last quick thing that you uh, the first thing actually that you mentioned was having that shared upon vocabulary and the mm -hmm. shared upon you know definition for what a SQL is, etc. And uh, that is that's critical. If you don't have something like that, you got to get that in place first. Um, yeah. And it, it, because it drives a lot of it's kind of the root of the success in a lot of ways, because you can also, you're also looking at the comp plan for SDRs based on, on an SQL. So if they come back to you and they say, I'm supposed to get paid on SQLs, but there's no set vocabulary and definition for what that is. And it's not agreed upon yep. by the sales leadership and you, then you're kind of caught with your pants down. Right. Um, and <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no one wants that. No, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've even documented and got the agreement alignment with sales on, okay, so this is when we're going to pass uh, something over to sales. And then on the sales end, because we, we do everything based on opportunity, um, and when it gets to a certain stage, we say, when when are we flipping this to the appropriate stage to say that um, this is, uh, in fact, an SQL? And you know, we have the criteria documented really clearly for when a salesperson is to do that. Right, exactly. And and it, it also kind of informs, you, you can get on the same page early to say, we're going for initial conversations, or we, we want to make sure that they have budget and authority Im immediately, or we want full budget, authority, need and time frame. And we can get that out, you know, as a discussion and on paper and agreed upon, so that you'd kind of take personalities out of the equation. Mm -hmm. And you replace it with process because obviously sales development, sales, sales leadership, there's a lot of personalities. There's a lot of, for sure. <laughs> there's a lot of big personalities and the, the way to kind of take personality out of it as much as you possibly can and have it a process is agree upon it, get it down on paper and then move forward with it. So exactly. Yeah. 
I love that. And then the coaching aspect. So now you've, you know, honed in on what the metrics are to convert an, an account to an opportunity. You're really focused on that. And you've got the, the service level agreement down. You're working on the handoffs. You've got good qualification notes that you can look at. Now you've got some great pieces of information for coaching. How do you take that, Chris, and translate it to better performance you know, on phone calls and emails and things like that. Yeah. So I love the books, seven habits of highly effective people. And one of the things that uh, they talk about is seeking first to understand, then to be understood. And I couldn't, uh, couldn't think of a better thing to a lens to use when you're, um, considering coaching your team. So, um, what we find is that you can take a lot of the, uh, the different things that you're trying to, help your reps get better at and really distill it down into figuring out why it is that they aren't doing the behavior that you, that you want. And what we typically can boil it down to is there's a knowledge gap. Like they, they don't actually know how to do the thing that uh, you're expecting them to do. The other thing is this idea that belief governs behavior. So if it turns out that they actually know what it is that you're asking them to do, but in their mind, they believe that they have a better way or they just frankly believe that what you're telling them to do isn't going to work, then for sure they're not going to put, put that action in place, right? Um, so those two are pretty easy to, to work through. The knowledge gap is just you know ask, asking them more about uh, you know why it is that, uh, that this happened, you know, whatever that thing is. I'm trying to think of a good example here that we could use to make this a little bit easier. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe, Maybe you can think of one, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, for example, they're, they're, you've got all the personas and, and pain points written out in the playbook, but they're running a, a different play against the wrong persona, for example, like an evaluator, and they're, they're trying to run the decision-maker play, for example. So you have to, you have to take a step back and re, re-engage them with the knowledge that, hey, you're running the wrong play. This is the wrong person. It's just a knowledge gap that they have. Right, right. And let's say that... Uh um, that they just got shut down by the CEO and now they're going to go to one of the B the, one of the VPs. Um, like if that's part of your account roadmap that you expect your folks to do, um, but someone's not executing on it, uh, you might find that it's actually a belief. Like they, they believe like, look, if the CEO told me no, then there's no point and there's no chance. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, and you know, we're assuming that <laughs> this is all coming from the assumption that um, everything on your, on your roadmap or the expectations that you have are correct and are effective. So I guess we'll just say that that's, that's a given that, uh, in, in this example, then you can say, okay, well, if they believe that, um, that it doesn't actually work, then let's show them some success stories of examples of other reps doing this and uh, build some social proof into the fact that, uh, you can go down the ladder if, if you got shot down from the, from the top and actually turn that into a workable deal. Um, so if you, if you find that the belief is not in line with what it is that you're expecting, then giving them some concrete examples of it working in action is just a a really good way to overcome that belief, um, that, that can really stop you from getting the performance that you want. And the last one is, this is kind of an interesting one is, um, some, some resistance that they just, um, for some reason can't overcome. Imagine that, uh, you have someone that just never calls, anyone on the, on the C level, like, and you start looking at the accounts that they're always talking to VPs and directors, but they're never actually going into the C level. It might be that, uh, they just get a little bit afraid that they don't have a lot of confidence in themselves or in, um, 
in what they're actually going to pitch and say to that uh, C-level executive. And so just sometimes just making them feel better, feel more confident. And there's all kinds of ways that you can do that. But we find that those three things um, really can, if you use that as your your guidepost for helping someone get to where they need to be, in, instead of thinking like, oh, my, my guys are just lazy or oh, they just don't want to do it. Like if, if that's the lens that you're using for coaching your team, then I mean, maybe you just got to get better at hiring because that's not the that's not the lens that is going to lead to success as far as we can see. That's excellent. It's, that's kind of lazy behavior on the part of the <laughs> the manager yeah. to say, yeah, like, ah, they're lazy. Well, no, dude, maybe you're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, and, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, God, that's why the coachability is such a critical aspect of hiring a great SDR, because if you've got a knowledge gap, Hey, if you're coachable and you're open, you're going to dive in and learn how to get over that. If if you're if you, your belief is governing your behavior, if you're just kind of a grumbly guy in the back of the class who makes snarky comments, you know, you're not you're just going to stick with that belief and yeah. and not move forward. And then if you've got resistance and you, you can't break through that emotionally, then you know, you're just going to keep going down that rabbit hole. So it all kind of comes down to, are you coachable and intellectually curious, you know, to, to be able to get better? And and then also, do you have a great leader like Chris who <laughs> will <laughs> peel back the onion a little bit instead of just going, ah, you guys are a bunch of bums, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't I can't say enough about uh, Stephen Chalmers in Santa Barbara and uh, Evan Carr out in Dallas. These guys are just all-stars when it comes to coaching and training our guys and a, a lot of a lot of good comes out of those discussions like uh, we you know for example had uh, one rep who was just doing amazing and then all of a sudden uh, her performance started to drop and um, in having a conversation it turned out that she was starting to to feel like she needed to give the very best of the best like she, she was saying like I feel like I have to give these meetings on a silver platter to the sales team and it was because she had that belief that uh, her performance was dropping. It wasn't because she was a bad caller or just forgot how to how to cold call. You know that that's not what happened. Um, so you know those can become really productive conversations that uh, can lead to some quick change too. Yeah, yeah, we're dealing with human beings. I mean, you know, they they can, yeah. you got to peel it back and understand what's going on with them. Uh, there could be something going on at home. Um, they they could be getting discouraged. They could have you know think that. They were going to get promoted a long time ago, and now they're starting to look for another job. So mm-hmm. that that aspect of it. Now, you've got some great uh, managers, and, and I, I don't want to make it sound like it's an impossible job, but you really do. you got to be analytical. you got to be in the weeds constantly. you got to be kind of a psychologist almost. Like, for sure. <laughs> get people to open up about what's going on. But I actually, I wrote a blog post a couple months ago. It's 2017, the year of the SDR manager. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I, I just give those guys props because their job is tough and and, you know, it's also tough to manage managers, too. So that's kudos to you, Chris. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> well, that's cool. OK, so switching gears like, you know, you're you're obviously running this huge team. You've been with these the, these guys for 10 years now. And um, I know that it must be a really high-pressure environment for you. What do you do to let the pressure out a little bit and 
Um, I know you, you've done some traveling, you've done some different things. I don't know what you're doing in your LinkedIn picture, but it looks really interesting. Uh, so, so how do you how do you depressurize um, in this situation? Yeah, well, I'm at the beach uh, every morning uh, before I go to work. So I wake up around 5.15 in the morning and uh, have, have a morning routine. And part of that's going for a run on the beach. And um, the day just does not feel right if I miss that. Nice, nice. Tell me more. Tell us more about your morning routine. How do you how do you kickstart the day? There's some journaling in the morning. Um, usually cracking into a book uh, for thirty minutes or so. Run on the beach, make a giant smoothie with all kinds of stuff in it. Then usually head off to work, and that whole process is I'd say by by the time I, I walk in the door right at eight. Um, so it's almost three hours, uh, of, of prep before I start my day, but that makes me walk in and feel pretty great. Oh, nice. Okay. So you're, you're controlling that time in the morning. I yeah. love that. I love that. And so, because at that point, right, any, any, um, craziness that comes up, it's at least you've already had three hours to That's right. focus on Chris for a while first, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the phone, the phone doesn't go on until about seven o'clock. Okay. All right. And then, and then it's on. And then, you know, tell me about your travels a little, get some crazy stuff on your Facebook. Like where, where have you been and what have you been up to? Yeah. Well, I, I when I was 18 years old, I decided that uh, every single year I was going to leave the country um, at least, at least once. So I've been to, I don't know, over 35 countries at this point and got a lot more to go to on the list, but traveling is really important to me. I actually, at one point, uh, left that folio for a period of time, took a sabbatical and went backpacking around Europe for half a year. Um, so that was a good way to, to break things up a bit. And you know, the funny thing is that we've had uh, a number of, of people on our team who have quit to pursue um, their passions that are just completely outside of sales. But uh, uh, they found that working in this job really gave them the the confidence and a skill set to go out and do some of the things they wanted to do. We had uh, um, a, actually a couple people quit to go pursue acting. One guy moved from Dallas down to Los Angeles to uh, go pursue that passion. And that's something I actually really love. I love the fact that, um, that you can combine um, what you do inside of work with what is that you do outside of work too. No, I love that. And you mentioned too before the show that, you know, having that solid – basis of sales skills can help you in so many different situations, right? Yeah. Even if uh, you're about to get deported from Belize and you got to talk your way out of it. So <laughs> you never know what's going to come up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you Google Chris um, and end up on his Facebook page, you'll, you'll see, <laughs> see exactly what he's talking about. He used his sales skills and I'm sure that you guys have an awesome, you know, sales training program and SDR training program. So I'm sure that uh, you're you're an expert there. So what's next? Um, you know, now you've been working with these guys. They they obviously you've got the track record. You were able to take a sabbatical for six months, which is amazing, and then come back and click right back in. What's next for you, Chris? My approach has always been be useful, provide as much value as you possibly can in and outside of your job description and things will take care of themselves. So, you know, I've had four different positions now at Appfolio and uh, that's been the, uh, the motto that I followed the whole time and that's always served me really well. So without having to get too focused on uh, what that outcome is going to look like necessarily, 
I know that uh, that fully is a growing company and we continue to be successful. And so long as uh, I help them with that success, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be something else along the way that's going to make sense when the time is right. Uh, right now, I love what I'm doing. And um, it's, it's hard to imagine doing something else right now, which is a just a great spot to be in. Oh, man, it's it's the perfect storm. I, I think sales development is one of the most exciting parts of the company to be in right now with all the technology and the people coming into it and the new strategies. And it's always changing. It's always changing. It's always changing. I mean, you're talking personalization and, you know, blasting people's not working. I mean, there's always something new to learn. So you're in an amazing spot. And, uh, you know, I can just say from running a business for the last few months and, and, um, man, when you can find someone who is, sort of a multi-talented player that can you just put them in a role and they can do anything great that's so valuable so that's why they're you're sticking around for so long there and they're they're lucky to have you man (laughs) i appreciate that it's working it's working out for sure on both sides so one thing that i'll say just before i forget is if you have any sdrs listening thinking about okay like how is this going to make me a better caller i think there's just a couple things to say like one that i hear when uh, reps are first getting started, no matter how many times we talk about it in the onboarding process, is that when you're in one of these calls uh, with the prospect, you really have to uh, focus on the reasons why they should, not the reasons why they shouldn't. And so we call it the silver lining principle. So a good example is you call someone up and you get into a conversation. They say, uh, yeah, you know, uh, we, we looked at you in the past. We really liked what we saw, but it was just way too expensive for us. Uh, what happens is a lot of times an SDR wants to immediately start cracking into the questions around why it was too expensive um, and make that the focus of the conversation. But instead, just um, taking that silver lining, you know, what you heard is that they they liked it and they were interested. So you could say, oh, that, that okay, I totally hear you. Uh, what was it that sparked your interest in us in the first place? And let that be the, the focal point of the conversation. Let their, their interest and the reasons that they were looking for a new solution in the first place be uh, what you talk about versus you know, all the reasons why they would not do something. Oh, nice. Dude, I like that. It's like verbal judo kind of. You know, they're, you're using their... <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, actually have, I actually have a training and uh, I, I talk about, uh, about judo in that, uh, in that training. So that's so funny. That's exactly. Yeah. They're they're using their power. I mean, and you can either like put all your power behind stopping it, or just grab their fist and pull. That's right. <laughs> so, exactly. Nice. I like that. I'm going to use that actually with my kids. Like if they. Um... <laughs> yeah. Good luck. <laughs> hey, that's the biggest sales job of them all, man. I got <laughs> seven and four year old. Holy cow. Uh, but Chris, um, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, th- this has just been an amazing conversation. I think it's a great roadmap for folks. And, uh, you know, you're, you're definitely some, someone that's looked up to in our community. So I appreciate you being on the show. And, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, check out the, the video of you, uh, detained in Belize. Uh, how, how could they contact you? <laughs> yeah, th- thank you, David. I appreciate that. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, of course, and you can always drop me a note at chris.casillas at appfolio.com. Oh man, what dude, that's that's worth the price of admission right there, man. If you're if you're <laughs> don't, like don't a, be a stranger, don't be a stranger. Give me give me a shout. Oh yeah. I mean if you're down in Santa Barbara or or Dallas or you know, any of the sales development leaders that want to connect with, with Chris, um that's that's money right there. So Chris, thank you very much and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
Is your sales development program firing on all cylinders? Are your people, processes, and technology aligned to get you the appointments, pipeline, and close one you need to be able to hit your goals? Finding experts in the field of sales development is a real struggle, but you have to hit your pipeline numbers today, not sometime in the future when you can step back and take a wider look at your program. TenBound is ready to help. Head over to TenBound.com for more information and to sign up for a free assessment of your current program. That's TenBound.com.